Welcome to the Community Church Podcast. This is a special message from Pastor Don George, Executive Pastor here at Community Church. Thanks for joining us. And without further ado, here's Pastor Don. So on our lighter note, again, I don't know where he's lurking behind me, but I've asked Eric to hang around, did he? Ah, see, he never knows where he's going to pop up. He's a little bit like a frog. That's bad. (laughs) Picked on you. So... Well, nice little warm fuzzy here. Uh, Eric had to be coached on what this really was when he first saw it. This too is a cookie jar, okay? And I want to play a little game here about expectations versus reality, okay? So would you like to take the top off this time? Please do. Now, would you please uh, reach in and grab that first item that you have in the cookie jar, which is? It's a mouse. Which isn't? A cookie. Because a mouse in a cookie jar is not a cookie. That's true. All right. So you didn't get what you, you got an imposter. All right. Try again. And now you have? Chocolate chip cookie mix. All right. A cookie mix. So he's got the potential. He's got the could be, would be, should be, but he doesn't have the real thing. All right. One more. Chocolate brownie, grandma's chocolate brownie cookie. He got the real thing plus this time. Thank you for playing what's in the cookie jar. (laughs) (laughs) Our passage today helps us think through that. What is real? What is an imposter? What is potential? Not yet. What is the real thing? Got one more for you. This cute little guy might have just kept his little costume on from the last week or two, right? Or he could be truly, truly in his heart at this age devoted to becoming a law enforcement officer. But he's not there yet. He could be an imposter, an imposter and he could be a potential. But he's not the real thing yet. And we assume some things have happened between these two guys. One grew up, got some training, and now is completely focused on it rather than pretend. And so as you turn with me, if you'd like, to John chapter 13, we're going to take a look. What is real? What is not real? What's potential? What do we need to grow into? Let me set the stage for this. Here in John chapter 13, we have Jesus preparing and participating in the Passover feast with his disciples, also known as the Last Supper that he would share with his disciples. From Luke's account of the Gospels, we learn that he had sent Peter and John ahead to prepare this meal for them and they would meet in the upper room. John 13 verse 1 tells us this, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Some versions read, to the uttermost. He showed them the full extent of his love. How did he do this? 
That's what we're finding. So this is that setting. This is Jesus imparting his last words, the ones that he wanted his followers to remember the most as he would depart from them. Picking up in verse 2, we find this at the setting. And during the supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taken a towel, tied it around his waist, then he poured the water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Pause there. Again, we, we learn from history a little bit. It's not just that this was the first century and they didn't have closed-toed shoes. The streets were not clean. And it was a custom when you came into one's house that if there was any, any servants in the house, the lowest servant would have the job of washing the feet of the guests before they died. This is what Jesus did. And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. And you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This was the setting. And as the dinner proceeded, and came to its conclusion, other things happened. One is Jesus addressed Judas, who would betray him and sent him out. And then he resumed and said to them, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Oops. Let me back it up. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This entire setting and his, his primary point Love one another as I have loved you. I want to be very clear about my purpose today with you. And some might ask, why might I hit it so hard? And I assure you, I will share that with you. My purpose here is clear. 
It's to exhort, to persuade those of us who call ourselves disciples and Christians to deepen our love commitment to one another because of the love we've received from God himself and we accept his command to love and to show that love to all we see, all we encounter. There is nothing less in our call as disciples. See, I, I told the first, first worship that, that I've realized that I'm, quote, later middle-aged, which in my mind says I'm still 25. But to those who are less than 25, I'm ancient. What I have seen is that our culture has shifted dramatically in my lifetime. The church who was once automatically assumed as a paragon of good and of virtue is no longer. And we as Christians are viewed most of the time skeptically and hypocritic, as hypocrites. Some of that's well-deserved. We've shot ourselves in the foot. But the other reasons are, are many, and I don't have time for that, but I can tell you this. As believers, we can make the truth of who God is and whom he calls people to become in him by showing love for one another. Now, we may need to take some time and talk about what this love looks like, tastes like, smells like. We'll do that, but I think we need to address some underlying issues first. And the question is first, who were the recipients of this command? Take a moment to look at this. One, those who were given this command were those who had accepted his call to discipleship. We know that Jesus went and called to James and to John and to Peter and to Andrew and to Matthew. And the rest, come, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. They accepted that. This was addressed to those who accepted his lordship in their lives. Mm -hmm. You need to understand a little bit about being asked to become a disciple and a follower. In the first century, it was go as they, they did live with, experience, travel with, do as I do for years under the rabbi until a rabbi finally said, now go get disciples of your own. And the whole process was becoming like the disciple. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, is Lord, confess with your mouth, you will be saved. You see, it's not just Savior, it's Lord. To those, as Peter had said, had left everything to follow him. It was all or nothing. It's an all-in situation. This was the address. To those whom he had called to advance his kingdom, told his disciples, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. He later commissioned them to go into all the world, preach the gospel and make disciples Others just like him. These, to whom he was giving himself and training them to be just like himself. 
These he called disciples. Are you a disciple? Am I a disciple? Does that define me? If we are, there are some assumptions about discipleship. One, that I've accepted Jesus' call to follow him, or that we have collectively. Meaning that we've given up the right to live according to our wills and pledged ourselves to his purposes. That we have exchanged a condemned life of self-rule that leads to eternal death and we've accepted his rule and received his spirit, which not just transforms our destiny, but our identity. I'm not mine alone, for I belong to him. And as a disciple of Jesus, I don't get to ignore his teaching and his commands. I willingly pursue his commands and believe that he has the words of life. And I'm motivated by the love that I've received for him. So the question I have for you is, do these words apply to you as a disciple? Have you accepted that call? Do you understand that call upon your life? This is the difference between Savior and Lordship. I may get in over my head while swimming and the lifeguard saves me. The lifeguard does not expect me to pledge my undying devotion of the rest of my life to him. He is satisfied to be my savior. Jesus did not come to be a mere savior. He came as Lord and savior. So that's our question. And again, I'd say, why am I hitting this so hard? I will tell you that, again, I believe some things. I'll ask you to consider them. See, as believers, we've often been deceived by the principles of this and ways of this world, and we've failed to notice that essentially, practically, we've rejected Jesus as Lord in every area of our lives. We've been seduced by the comfort of our salvation. Our hearts have grown cold, and we've just been comfortable in the warmth of church attendance, church activities, and Bible studies, or the clothing and jewelry that we wear, rather than being followers above Jesus above all else. And one of those most insidious ways that we've been deceived is thinking that faith and obedience are merely private, individual matters. As believers, we are called to be a body belonging to one another. A unique people. A special priesthood. And representing God's unique kingdom in a foreign land. Finally, loving one another is to be our trademark. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another as I have loved you. So as a church body here at Community, we need to ask ourselves, how well do we demonstrate God's love to each other? And how well is our love seen by those who visit us? By our neighbors? By our co-workers? 
by our community at large. What trademark do we bear? Having built somewhat of a foundation on why we should love, let's take some time looking at how to love. While we do that, I'm going to continually ask this question of you. How's the reading on your love meter? Is it on empty? Is it on full? We'll see. One example we have, and, and who discounts the example of Jesus as one to follow? Because he's Jesus. I can't be that. I discounted it. How did Jesus love? He loved his disciples with the love of his father. He loved out of complete trust in his father for the complete goodness of who his father was and the righteousness of his father. So much that he would deny his own will to the suggestion of his father's will for the good of what his father wanted accomplished. He loved his father so much and his followers that he prayed that they would be united together as he and the father were one. Maybe we need something more practical. Does it help to know that Jesus loved being full of grace and truth? Any of us have a little problem of being full of both? A little half empty on them both most of the time. But Jesus was full of grace and full of truth, and he shared that love. Something a little more practical that we're used to. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongue of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, I'm super Christian. But I have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, I'm a martyr. But I have not love, I gain nothing. Brothers, sisters, in Christ, consider this. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I want to be quite open with you. What I bring to you today is, is not preaching or speaking to you because I'm angry. I want you to hear it as passion. We have an opportunity to show the glory of God by loving one another. And we struggle with it. How do I know we struggle with it? Because I struggle with it. Am I the only one that has come to worship? 
and looked for something that annoyed me? Oh, I mean, found something that annoyed me? While there were many wonderful things that happened? Oh my goodness. Are they ever going to get the slides right when we do worship? You know? Are we ever going to get the cleaning right? This, is, this sounds funny. Are we out of hot cocoa again? <laughs> I mean, this is that deception. But how often do I come to worship? Saying, how can I show God's love to Steve today? Wow. And Lisa really blessed me when I saw her do this and something. How often do we do that? Or how often do we come? And boy, I need to receive from God today. Brothers and sisters, we've received. The question is, do we know it? Do we realize it? All right. Back to preaching out of the meddling. Okay. There are other examples. How are we loving? What examples do we need? Quickly, I'll look through three of these passages. Philippians 2, 1 through 4. Just look at verse 4. 3 and 4. Let each of you look not only to the interests, your own interests, but also to the interests of others. How about Hebrews 10, 24, 25? Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. How about this one? Watch your toes, okay? Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we're members of one another. How'd you answer the question, how are you doing? I'm okay. Liar! I share this story. One of my church experiences, I was asked to consider a position which I knew I was not prepared and ready to take. My answer, I said, you guys don't know me. I'm a mess in here. I virtually got the, you're okay? You're just too hard on yourself. Folks, we're all a mess. That's the reason we need grace and we have Jesus as our ultimate sacrifice. And when we get to be real with one another and stir one another up to love and good deeds and to give grace to one another and to help each other grow and to be real with one another, that's when the world will know. But until then, we're false. So another translation is stop lying to one another. Speak the truth. Be vulnerable. Be real. How's your love meter doing? Where is it at? How are we doing? So let's go on. Love to share this example, and perhaps some of you who are still old enough to listen to radio even hold, heard this broadcast uh, within the last week and a half. 
the broadcast was simply covering a book and the topic was being present, showing the love of Christ by being very present. Amy called in. Amy called in and told the story that back in 2004, while she was in the midst of intense parenting, three children, all under the age of 13, all in three different school buildings, and she suddenly started having these silent seizures where her body would just go limp. She'd be unable to speak, unable to respond. Oh, it took several months to find some way to manage with this. In the meantime, of course, several other parents and school families came together and helped get the kids where they needed to be along with their spouse. But there was one friend that stood out, her friend Darcy. Darcy wasn't the one that swept in, you know, with a cape on and said, I'm going to be super friend and do everything. Darcy didn't know what to say. Darcy didn't know what to do. She just came to be with Amy. And in the midst of being there, Amy expressed, you know, with her out loud voice that she probably didn't mean to say, but that she just wanted to be able to take a shower. Darcy paused for a moment, swallowed hard. I got you. I can do that for you. Amy protested, you'd have to see me naked. Darcy says, I got you. And Amy testifies that for several months, a couple of times a week, Darcy would help her shower and hold her up as those seizures would hit and they would pass. Do you think Amy felt loved? How can we love one another? How can we give ourselves? It's another one that points out, and I love this one that came and I first heard it several years ago showing my age. This came through Ann Ortland, that book called Up With Worship. It's actually now out of date. But she challenged, said, when we come together, do we come together as marbles or as grapes? And here's the description. She goes this, picture a glass full of marbles and versus those grapes. See, marbles are single units that don't affect each other except in a collision. Grapes, on the other hand, mingle their juices together. And one, each one is part of the total fragrance. Before us today are the elements of the Lord's Supper. The early church, we are told, often as part of their offering and worship, would bring those elements. And the juices that they would bring would mingle together. I want to give you one more example because there's some practical application of this and you're going to need a break. But consider, if you look for the sake of time, but consider Acts chapter 2. I'll just read that, but also in Acts chapter 4. In Acts 2, we have this picture, Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they, that is the early church, the early disciples, 
They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They knew who the disciples were, and it drew them to the master. Sake of time, I'll tell you, read on again in Acts chapter 4, and you see the same type of picture. And that was after their early leaders, James, had been put to death by Herod. And Peter was in prison, and they were certain he was ready to be killed. But they prayed together as one... They didn't necessarily have all the faith in that because they were really shocked when he came knocking at the door after being miraculously released. But again, that testimony is that they were together. They looked out for one another. They didn't hold on to their own possessions, but shared what they had with one another. That word, we actually have a class here named after that word that describes their fellowship. It's called koinonia. The word means the sharing together in common of one another's lives. You know, I understand it's difficult. If we took a little survey today, we might be from a 10-mile radius. We don't live necessarily next door to each other. You know, so when my lawnmower breaks, I might not be able to borrow chips but Chip might hear my need and offer it. No, my lawnmower's not broke, Chip. Not that I know of. You know what, though? Aren't we supposed to be more connected now than we ever were? It's a matter of intentionality. It's a matter of what we do. And when we do it, I got to tell you, it can get messy. So I'm going to show you two brief clips here, and some of you are going to recognize this from your history. In case you, the youngest of you may need this explanation, this is the old way of stomping grapes to make wine. It's messy. Now, Lucy finally gets the hang of it so much that she gets tired of walking around. Now we've got full color.
I will tell you, it degrades from there. Why do I show that? Hmm? Folks, loving one another is messy. And it gets messier. But as God's love for us, it's worth it. It's worth it to get to the deeper love. It's risky, it's messy, it's vulnerable. The story I've loved to share since I heard it many years ago is the porcupine dance. Picture cold porcupines on a winter night, shivering in the cold. They're drawn together for body warmth. The closer they get, they prick and needle one another. So they drift apart. Our fellowship is often like that. But oh, the call is that we would stay in it. Even when it starts to look like a fight. Because God honors those of us who will submit to his wills, press on into the pain, into the difficulty to reach a deeper love and a fellowship. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. So I'm going to close with this. This is a practical thing. We get to love each other by giving ourselves of our time, how we think about each other, our attitude, what we do towards one another, and how we speak to one another. But I have to ask some questions. I have to ask these. See, what's the source of your views of love? Is it God or the world? Is love, in your definition, make me warm, fuzzy, and comfortable? Or love, God, make me what you need me to be because I trust you. Are you receiving the love of God and growing in your love for others? Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. The second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. Those are not independent. To love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength is to love one another. They're not inseparable. They are inseparable. Are you loving God by submitting your will to his and valuing his truths above your feelings? Are you willing to be vulnerable and honest and real about who you are while giving and receiving God's love through this body? And finally, do you need to come before God today and repent of a failure to love and recommit yourself to his purpose as a disciple? A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this will all people know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another and that is it for this week's message if you have a question about the message community church or jesus christ send us a text to 330-400-3242 you can learn more about our events and community groups online at ccpl.life connect there you can also send in a prayer request we would love to pray for you have a blessed lord's day and we'll see you next week